0: A prominent Florida Democrat challenges the Biden administration on gun rights. Plus, Cam Edwards of Bearing Arms talks about Biden's decision to demote the acting ATF director. That and more on this episode of The Weekly Reload Podcast.
1: All
0: right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can pick up a membership today. If you want exclusive access to dozens now, probably in the hundreds. It's been a year. Uh, it's a one-year anniversary of the Reload, and we have hundreds of exclusive pieces for our members, uh, Pieces mostly analysis stuff. We also have some exclusive reporting that we've done in the past that's, that's available only to members, and you'll get this podcast a day early, as well as the opportunity to appear on the show in a member segment, which is one of my uh, favorite segments to do, but Uh, You know, you get a lot for the membership, and it's how we keep going. We're 100% reader funded. Uh, I own the whole company, so there's no secret uh, benefactor or or investor out there anywhere. And I'm not rich, so (laughs) the uh, the funding is up to you guys. But this week we've got uh, a great guest, Cam Edwards, one of the smartest people in gun media, in my opinion, and uh, we're we're going to talk about the ATF situation, but. Uh, Actually, before we do that, um, Cam recently uh, lost his his son, and so I was just hoping people might be able to, you know, take some time to say a prayer for him and and his family um, if they can. But, but Cam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, Stephen, and uh, and thank you very much for that. Um, I will I will take any and all of the uh, the thoughts and prayers. I know that that's a phrase that has become you know something that uh, that 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 some of the gun control crowd uh, likes to mock, but uh, I can tell you that the support that I've received—I haven't really been on social media much since um, I, you know, first got on to talk about what had happened—but uh, I can tell you the the outreach from people, including yourself, have has uh, really been amazing, and it has been a source of strength through some really crummy times. I'm not sure what kind of language I can use on this podcast, so I'll leave it there. But uh, but thank you.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, anything uh, you feel like expressing, you you feel free. But, uh, but yeah, I'm here to support you any way I can. And I'm sure that a lot of our audience who know and and appreciate what you do want to support you as well. So um, I know, you know, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, it's it's something that I think can can be genuinely uplifting for people who are going through difficult times. I I
1: will I will tell you. when I first uh, tweeted out that my son Harrison had passed away um unexpectedly a week before his 31st birthday one of the folks I won't know I won't name the individual but um somebody reached out to me privately who is very much on the other side and uh and said hey I want you to know I'm uh, you know your family's in my prayers and then sent me another message saying, oh God, I just realized that you might take that as like me mocking you because of the whole thoughts and prayers thing. So I thought it was, I didn't realize I could laugh at that moment, but I actually did have to (laughs) laugh because it just struck me as so funny that, okay, even they know that there's something weird about it. And I wrote back and said, I thought hadn't even crossed my mind. Thanks for, you know, reaching out. But uh, yeah, yeah, it it has been, you know, it's just been uh, really hard and it's gonna be really hard for uh, quite a while. but, Absolutely, uh, yeah. you know, the fact that, uh, again, there are just so many folks, um, who I know are thinking about us and are praying for us. Uh, I, I, just, it does matter. Uh, so thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I know a lot of people genuinely have a deep, uh, care for you and, and your wife and your entire family. So, uh, just wanted to, to make that clear and give people who are listening an opportunity to, to, um, put you in their, in their prayers as well. But, uh, Hopefully we can uh, you know, maybe distract you a little bit from, from that situation and, and just talk, talk about guns, right? I mean, that's uh, it's, it's something that uh, you've dedicated a large part of your life to, and, um, and you're still going strong with it over there at Bearing Arms, uh, writing uh, about the latest news out of the ATF, which is, of course, that they have demoted Marvin Richardson, who's the acting director, uh, in favor of a U.S. attorney from Arizona, uh, who believe his name is Gary rest, restano, restano. Yeah. Ristano? Tomato oh, yeah. I apologize Let's call I the
1: whole thing that. off and just keep Marvin Richardson <laughs> over there. I don't think that's an option
0: yeah. for Biden. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, and it's, a, it's a fascinating move. Um, th- this comes what one week after the president announced his nominee to be permanent director, Steve Dettelbuck, another, uh, f- he was a former U S attorney and a candidate for democratic candidate for AG. But, I don't know. What's your first reaction to all this? What What do you think about it?
1: My first reaction is th- this may be like the first moment of genuine surprise uh, that I've had with the Biden administration. Like, I wasn't surprised to see them nominate David Chipman as ATF director. Um, I was I was I was pleasantly surprised to see uh, Chipman's nomination fail. But I, I that, that wasn't because of the or that wasn't a move by the Biden administration. This really was surprising to me uh, because, you know, Marvin Richardson, is, as you know, was planning on retiring i believe at the end of the year if not uh beforehand so you know yeah. here's a guy who was already on his way out the door the earliest they're talking about confirming uh uh, uh steve uh, bettelman is it that Dettel, Dettel, yeah yeah um the earliest that they're talking about confirming him i've seen from the white house is like the fall so
0: yeah i thought that was weird
1: too, right? Honestly. And if you think about it, so so now you get rid of Marvin Richardson, and as you reported, I think this is also really important. A couple of top deputies are leaving too, so Richardson gets demoted down to deputy director. So he's going to you know supposedly stick around as you know part of the institutional knowledge, Um, and then you get Restaino Restano in there as the interim director. There's going to be this huge leadership vacuum. I mean, the, the 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 idea that. (laughs) <laughs> Some uh, you know interim director is going to be able to turn around this troubled agency, uh, in six months or, or uh, four months, and then you're going to have somebody you know uh, permanent come in. It's just absurd. I mean, this is going to throw the ATF into even more chaos in the short term, I would think. Um, so the idea that well this is going to you know light a, a fire under the ATF, you know, show the renewed focus for the agency, I think it actually is probably going to do the exact opposite. Um, to me, what this is, is is pure pandering to the gun control lobby on the part of the Biden administration. This came a few days after I think it was the AP ran a big story about, you know, disgruntled uh, uh, anti-gun activists like David Hogg, who, uh, you know, don't feel like Biden has done enough. I think this is throwing the gun control groups a bone named Marvin Richardson. And uh, and it looks like the gun control lobby is happy to, you know, gnaw on that bone for a while.
0: You know it's weird though to me uh, i mean i think you're right as far as the motivation for it uh he, richardson was uh, effectively personally his leadership was attacked in the new york times uh back in march mm-hmm. uh for and really the complaints about it. i mean i don't, you know maybe that's just from wh- where we're coming from but to me they always they seem pretty su- superfluous i mean they're they're complaining that he went to shot show which is something the atf always does right it wasn't some new policy from martin richardson And they complained that the ghost gun rule wasn't getting implemented fast enough because it was supposed to initially it was going to be published in June instead of March or sorry,
1: instead of April. So that's like, which, by the way, it still has not been published. It still has not been published Mm -hmm. in the Federal Register. Try to find it in the Federal Register. It's not there. They Mm -hmm. held a press conference. They had the dog and pony show but it has still not been published the, the 120 day clock or 90 days. We don't know because it hasn't been published, but the clock has not started ticking yet. So, you know, which to me is another very interesting fact.
0: Yeah, that is interesting.
1: Now I'm going to look up Uh, that was accurate as of Wednesday afternoon, but I'm going to look it up as we're talking here.
0: That is important too, because it's, it only becomes, uh, you know, relevant once it's actually published in the register not, not when they make a press announcement, right? Of course. So that is fascinating. Uh, I mean, so... and the thing about the complaint over that too was like, uh, well, you know, the June timeline was not out of the ordinary for a rule, a federal rule. You know, federal rules take a year, a year and a half to actually get done and finalized, especially when there's hundreds of thousands of comments to that the ATF has to respond to, like they did in this case.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm looking here. And no, the last thing that was published uh, in the Federal Register dealing with the ATF was a proposed e-collection of e comments requested for the ATF Citizens Academy uh, on April 18th. That's it. So, yeah, it
0: it is slightly less controversial one.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I mean, again, this is this is all been, I think, a dog and pony show designed to mollify. Uh, gun control activists and and you know by design I think tried at this point not even energize the Democratic base but just to just to give them some reason to go out and vote in November because I think uh, Biden Democrats are just terrified about what's going to happen in the midterms and you know they know they're not going to get the vote of gun owners I mean they 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 know that vote's lost all you got to do is look at the uh, you know election results in Virginia and see how Terry McAuliffe fared in rural counties. Um, so I think this is, you know, a a pure political pander uh, at the expense of our second amendment rights. By the way, and and at the expense of Marvin Richardson's career.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's true. But I did think the the twist, the thing that's particularly odd to me is like, so at first the president came out and you know he had a whole rose garden speech where he he announced the ghost gun rule, and then he announced uh, DellaBuck as the permanent nominee, you know, second nominee. Uh, and, you know, that certainly seemed to be in response to the public criticism, really, frankly, pretty harsh public criticism he was getting from the gun control groups. It was sort of surprising me. I didn't really, I, you know, I don't I don't really understand the political calculate. I mean, you're right in terms of like trying to to uh, uh, motivate them to get out to vote or at least to keep them. Engaged, if, maybe, if, but, if not to
1: get out the vote, it's such to a the weird... campaign cash flowing. I mean, you got to think too yeah. about how much money was spent uh electing Biden in 2020. Sure, you know, so you know, Bloomberg and and but then after that, and Michael Bloomberg at every time, I mean, they've been a big player in you know state legislative races, not just congressional races, but I mean, they have been mm-hmm. spending a lot of money trying to yeah. get anti-gun candidates elected. So. If they feel like, well, this is going to be a bad year, we're going to try to, you know, allocate our resources to shore up safe seats instead of, you know, trying to spend to, you know, keep more Democrats in office. That might be a factor as well. Yeah. No.
0: I mean, uh, that's all absolutely true. I mean, there's obviously good reasons why the the president and and his administration would want to make sure that the gun control advocates are are happy uh, for for the, all those reasons that you laid out. I just always thought it was kind of a uh, an odd way for the gun control groups to go about trying to influence the president, and but to be fair to them, it, it worked, right? I mean, the, so uh, <laughs> right. you know, it was the exact opposite approach, basically, of the NRA and the gun rights groups with Trump, where they they didn't commonly go out and attack him in public. They tried to work behind the scenes, um, but uh, yeah, I'm it's sure a the gun control ban. groups do that too, right? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, maybe this, maybe this is just a better approach. You know, I don't, I don't know. It clearly it worked for on Biden at least. Uh, but the weird thing to me is that he'd already done that stuff. And then, then he's taking this extra step of in particular kind of kicking Marvin Richardson on the way out on the, on his way out the door. And it's like, because again, like you said earlier, he was, he was going to be gone anyway, It wasn't it wasn't like he was going to stay in there if, you know, Dettelbach's uh, confirmation failed. You know, he's an acting director. He can't stay that long. And They could have just waited until either Dettelbach got through or his nomination failed and then put somebody else in. But for some reason, they felt the need to go the extra uh, mile here to to really kind of like crap on Marvin Richardson.
1: Well, yeah. And, 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 and to that point, it, it, you know, you're also right that this is also kind of inside baseball stuff. Like this isn't the stuff that's sure. going to get, you know, some right. random suburban mom in a red shirt to go out and, and, you know, pull the lever for a Democrat in November they're, if they're even aware of this. Right. You, you this, yeah. So you're right. This is getting rid of Marvin Richardson. Uh, I I say getting rid of demoting him months before his retirement, Uh, you know, it's kind of worse than than just getting rid of him. Yeah, it kind of is. Um, you're right. That doesn't serve the purpose of motivating the democratic base. That really does sound like, okay, we're going to do this for you because you asked. So then I think the question becomes, why do the gun control activists want Marvin Richardson out of the ATF? eight months before Uh, he was going to retire anyway. Like what, what, what do they get out of it? And that is, you know, I don't have a a ready answer for that.
0: I only have one speculate. This is pure speculation. Okay. Oh, I like pure
1: speculation.
0: uh, We try to avoid it as much as possible (laughs) on the show. At at least you're clearly identifying it. it. Yeah. Pure speculation. But that New York times piece I mentioned earlier uh, that went after Richardson for those, those, sort of frivolous points about, uh, you know, uh, how, how he was, uh, putting the brakes on Biden's, uh, gun violence prevention efforts, uh, it's fairly obvious who was the driving force, the main source for that piece, which was David Shipman, who was still, uh, very unhappy about how his own nomination went. And apparently it has a real bone to pick with Marvin Richardson in particular. Um, and so it, it, Almost feels as though David Chipman is doing a lot of the has just that has a lot of influence over how the administration is handling things with the ATF, Um, which is, again, odd because he went out and was publicly trashing them continually since his nomination failed.
1: Yeah, yeah. but you're right. I mean, this again, pure speculation, but uh, you could easily see Chipman's fingerprints over this. Um, he has been very critical, but I also wonder if, despite the criticism, uh, if not Biden, then, you know, one of the uh, the higher ups in the administration, maybe even Merrick Garland, uh, you know, wants to do David Chipman a good turn, feels bad about how it all went down. Heck, yeah. maybe Merrick Garland and some, you know, or DOJ staffers uh, or even White House officials felt like the White House should have done more, maybe uh, to try Susan to is one of the key players right. here too cedric richmond um i think is another yeah. um and, and so you know i i, I that's a possibility um uh, that it's not directly coming from biden but you know there are sympathizers and sympathizers within uh of the white house or doj uh who want to do him a solid uh, and convince Biden sure. that this was the right I you guess. know move to make i guess i mean I don't know, because I, I, I suspect that ultimately what's really driving this, as you say, or as you allude to, is personality and not policy, um, or yeah. at least there's a lot of personality involved because from a policy perspective, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, so it's got to be personal on some level. And yeah, David Shipman would be you know, a, a, a pretty good suspect for uh, someone who would want to get Marvin Richardson out of that job in a... In, a, in an embarrassing and public fashion
0: yeah and it's it was abrupt you know my the my ATF sources who who gave me this story um I mean one I'll, I'll give you just a little bit of insight obviously I can't say who they are because their jobs are at stake but but um you know they were it was somebody who came to me i, I didn't know this person beforehand I, mean, I verified who they were but, yeah but like that gives you some indication of how it this went over inside the ATF Uh, And then obviously I talked to other sources as well after I got the initial tip, but like people don't, people didn't like this. Marvin Richards is very well liked at the ATF and in the industry. Um, And the other thing too is, uh, you know, and clearly there's a philosophical uh, um, um, issue in that just the fact that he has relationships with the industry and is well liked by the industry um, seems to be one of the driving points as to why, uh, the, the gun control groups don't like him. It was because you know if you look at the policy of the ATF during Marvin Richardson's reign, it, it's not as though the ATF has gotten softer on the industry oh, in any right. way whatsoever. It's been quite the opposite. Yeah. Really. Uh, in a number of policies, stuff that, you know, most people haven't ever heard of, like changes to Form 1, uh, submissions for silencers, uh, you know, just going after uh, Inspection—the stuff that Biden wants to do in terms of like the zero tolerance policy for any infractions—they're implementing a lot of that stuff. It's, it's not as though Mitch Richardson is, you know, Gand- is it Gandalf who stands up and says, "You shut up." Alex? Yeah, I, I never. I think never
1: so. Not really a huge this. Lord but, of the Rings guy, but uh, yeah,
0: I, you look like. I mean, you could play him if you died dyed that beard. Like, with, uh... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not as though Marvin Richardson is like holding back what the administration wants to do on guns, at least not from the outside. It doesn't appear to be the case. So, um, you know, it's 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 just such an odd odd thing to do. But it's you said earlier, right? This is sort of inside baseball stuff. So wh- why do you do you think it's going to matter? um to the general public or to the larger political narrative, um, that they're doing this to Marvin Richardson?
1: You know, it could, um, because even though this is an inside baseball move, you know, look, as you say, Marvin Richardson was not some, you know, secret second amendment stalwart, uh, you know, heading up the ATF, trying to undermine the agency's mission at every turn. Like that, that's not who we're talking about here. Um, But he is a a somewhat sympathetic figure, I think, even to Second Amendment supporters because the guy got shafted. I mean, like, honestly, on his way out the door, he got knifed in the back by the president, no less. Right. Uh, And then he's expected to just stick around and be a good soldier for a few months to train the new guy so that the new uh, the other new guy can take over. Um, So that, I think, has the possibility. Excuse me. There's a possibility there that this becomes a. A human interest story, not necessarily even a political story, but a, a a you know human interest story of a guy who got screwed uh by the president for political purposes. You add in the fact that Marvin Richardson is black, uh, Steve Dettelbach is white, Gary Restaino is white, David Chipman is white, David Chipman also has a history of allegedly making some racist comments about black ATF agents. Um, and I, I think when you add that element in. Then it becomes uh, even more of a a hard news story and not just a human interest story. So there is a, a an element of human interest, but I think there's also genuine, you know, a uh, political news being made here that is worthy of attention.
0: That that's where I would agree uh, the impact could really come is is, is uh, the twofold, right? Is the uh, well, first the the racial issues involved because you know Marvin Richardson. Uh, is a, he's a career ATF agent. He had 30 years at the agency. He worked from being a special agent all the way up to director. Uh, So he's gone through the entire uh, career path. And then he's getting passed over. Uh, He's been passed over twice now to be the permanent nominee. Uh, I believe uh, he was also suggested as permanent nominee by uh, Angus King, the Senator from Maine, who Mm -hmm. was one of the key figures to hold up Chipman's nomination. And, um, you know, the the racial aspect of it, him being uh, an African-American director who's passed over for white uh, nominees when the president has specifically maintained that diversity was going to be a key goal of his administration and putting people into positions of power, I think is going to be a, a, a big sticking point, especially when it appears that the reason he's being passed over is because he's a career guy who doesn't have political aspirations in terms of uh, using the ATF to uh, enforce stricter gun uh, uh, measures, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, and now yeah, this story hasn't broken yet. I haven't published this yet, as as of our recording of the show. But it will be up by the time the podcast go lives, goes live. And the National African American Gun Association is is making these points as well it's not just me or you who who believe this is an issue right um this is coming from a black gun owners group that uh, says um and i'll give you the the quote directly here Uh, this is philip smith the president of uh, the national african-american gun association which is now the largest black gun owner group in the country Uh, he said while we cannot say with certainty why mr richardson has been passed over Uh, twice for the directorship, and has been currently demoted. The pattern and speed of these actions has the appearance of being racially motivated and or politically expedient. So clearly, uh, I think that's going to be a major issue when you get to Steve Dettelbach's confirmation hearing, and it it didn't have to be, right? They didn't have to do this to Richardson. This could have been an issue anyway, but now it's elevated even more.
1: It is. and you know again, uh, if if any fingerprints of this actually ultimately are traced to David Chipman, it becomes a much bigger issue. a much bigger issue. So um, I, I you know I, I'm sure that you will be continuing to investigate how this went down mm-hmm. uh, because as you say this was fairly sudden. Uh, there, there, there didn't appear to be uh, any whispers of this uh, you know within the agency that this was coming. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing if any information actually comes out about you know what led to this uh, because it, it, as you say, the innocuous reasons Marvin Richardson wasn't demoted from acting ATF director because the ATF went to shot show. as you say, the ATF goes to shot shows. If you go, I'm sure that the DEA goes to, uh, you know, pharmaceutical conventions. Um, And I'm sure the the FBI has, you know, good relationships with drug companies, even though, you know, you you don't want to have. And this, I think, ultimately is is the issue. I don't know if it was the issue with Marvin Richardson, but it's certainly the issue with the gun control movement right now in the Biden administration. They don't want the ATF to have a working relationship with the firearms industry. They wanted to have an adversarial relationship. Um, I've talked about how, you know, they really want the ATF to be a gun control group with law enforcement powers. And while that sounds hyperbolic, I think it's true. I think it actually is what they want. Um, And it seems to me like, you know, the Biden administration is willing to do whatever it can to make that happen. Uh, you know, knowing that they don't have the votes in Congress to do this. Uh, So they'll try to make these personnel moves. They'll try to enact these executive actions that go, I believe, beyond the ATF's purview uh, and strays over into Congress's job. Sorry about that. My rooster decided to uh, hang out right outside my office. Yes, Mr. Crow is here. Uh, I I warned (laughs) Stephen when he was on Cam and Company that uh, that my rooster likes to hang out. Apparently he just likes to listen to the conversation, too. So uh, hopefully he wants to join in. He does. I don't think he's a big fan of David (laughs) Chipman. So, yeah, Yeah. but so since Mr. Crow uh, rudely interrupted my train of thought, um, you know, I'll just end it there and and I'll let you pick up the next question.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, plus also, you know, uh, members of the reload know that I, I go and watch my mom's farm occasionally. So I have experienced dealing with, with annoying uh, chickens and roosters, uh, and, and, uh, I don't get the appeal. Per, uh, the eggs are great, but the rest <laughs> of the process of having chickens is uh, less than ideal, in my opinion. I would much rather have a horse. Well, he's he doesn't like that. You see,
1: right? Exactly. He can, hear, he so can tell Stephen, what we're talking about. He wants to throw down. Doesn't
0: like uh, my slander. <laughs> but
1: um, but uh, yeah. So
0: the um, the the other uh, aspect, you know, I think all that what you said there is, is accurate in terms of this philosophical divide, like I mentioned earlier there really does seem to be that the main criticism of Richardson was just that he had relationships with the industry his agency or, regulates um and and they just uh, i feel it does seem to be a, an actual philosophical viewpoint difference that they just don't want uh the ATF to have those sorts of relationships even even when you get ATF agents in- including the ones who talked to me for the, for this latest story who say look we we need those relationships because that's how we get a lot of our tips uh, for suspicious gun transactions. They come from the dealers. Uh, you know, th- there's a certain picture painted by a lot of uh, the gun control organizations about how uh, gun dealers work. That they're, you know, that a lot of them are are sh- uh, criminals basically, and and doing illegal things all the time. And and so that they want the ATF to basically treat all gun dealers as though they might be criminals. And um, whereas a lot of ATF agents in the field will tell you they're more like their partners, uh, they regulate the industry, but the industry is the one who tells them if there's suspicious patterns of buying that are going on, because how is the ATF even going to know that otherwise? Uh, in most cases, they're they're not. So um, a- anyway, that, that seems to be the 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 poll here. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, about um, the other aspect of this. Obviously, we're coming at it from a, a gun aspect, um, but I think the White House looks at all this from a crime response aspect, right? They they think, oh, uh, you know, we're trying to show that we're being tough on crime. There's there's this uh, murder surge going on uh, in, in a lot of cities throughout the country, and we got to show uh, that we're, you know, responding to that in a strong way, so we're going to push for a new uh, permanent act, uh, permanent director of the ATF and go after you know ghost guns uh, which have, which they claim are showing up in crimes more frequently um, do you think that that is going to be a successful selling point do you think gun rights activists are overlooking this uh, this point of view at all
1: oh, I think it's going to be completely uh, uh, unproductive. Uh, if the Biden administration is hoping that you know this is going to show that they're tough on crime, because this isn't going to do anything to stop crime. Uh, first of all, uh, you know the earliest this rule would take effect would be August. Um, you know, so and by the way, uh, if any you know criminally minded individual uh, hadn't heard about you know, uh, build, buy, shoot kits before now, I imagine, you know, Biden's Rose Garden uh, 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 infomercial probably alerted them to this fact. So, you know, between now and August, any criminal individual who wants to purchase these things to build their own guns is going to be able to do so. Uh, but even after this, let, let's say the rule takes effect, it's not challenged and court is not put on hold. If you want to buy an 80% lower, as I understand it, you still can, right? You can't buy the yes. kit, but you can buy the 80% lower.
0: Right. right, you can't buy it alongside a jig and 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 uh, you know and tools to finish it. But you, yeah, the they haven't really changed anything about the eighty percent lower, especially yeah. the AR fifteen.
1: And, and again, three D printing has advanced to the point. You know, the uh, I know you talked to Cody Wilson not long ago on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about a shot show about the Ghost Gunner machine. Like, you know, the technology has just advanced to the point that I don't think you can put the genie back in the bottle. So. What the, I believe, what what Americans who are concerned about crime want to see is not a press conference at the White House. Um, they want to see fewer shootings on their block, right? And, you know, from that perspective, this is all noise coming from Washington, D.C. This isn't going to change anything on the ground. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, there are steps that that cities are taking right now uh, that don't involve passing new laws, that don't involve you know millions of dollars in new funding, and really don't offer much space for a politician to get involved. Like Dallas, Texas, when they decided to start looking at you know where crime, where shootings are taking place, they figured out it was something like they kind of laid this microgrid of uh, of uh, uh, just you know a grid pattern over the city, and they found that something like in 151 of the 100,000 microgrids. They were seeing, it was like an ungodly number of crimes, like 60 or 70% of the shootings were happening in you know less than 1% of the city. So they flooded those zones with police and homicides dropped by 30%. Um, I had a story at Bearing Arms about the uh, state's attorney in Jacksonville, who is sort of looking at the same thing. Who are the most prolific violent offenders? Let's start there. Let's not offer them plea bargains. Let's take them to court. Let's put them away for as long as we possibly can, because every time they get back out on the street, they're committing another violent crime. Um, And violent crime, you know, homicides dropped in Jacksonville last year when they were rising across much of the United States. This isn't rocket science, but it's also, again, like there's not much space for pure politics. And that's what I think ultimately you're right. This is Biden's crime response, but it is a political response because I think the White House views all of these things as political problems, which is why it's so tone deaf because they don't understand that if you live in a bad neighborhood. This isn't a political problem. This is a personal problem. When you can't send your kid to school without worrying about them being shot. When your best friend from high school is murdered walking out of a convenience store after buying a bottle of tea, which is what happened to my son's friend in Richmond, Virginia last year, a homicide that has not been solved yet. And Mayor LeVar Stoney, uh, his political response is, well, let's have a gun buyback. Let's spend half a million dollars on a gun buyback. I can tell you that people in Richmond, Virginia are not satisfied with that. And I don't think that Americans who are concerned about crime are going to be satisfied with Steve Dettelbach becoming the ATF director uh, or, or, you know, or or even being nominated or a a, a new rule that says you can't buy a a DIY gun kit. Uh, Instead, you know, you got to buy those uh, components separately. Like that's such a can I say? Can I say BS? Can I say like the whole thing on this podcast?
0: Sure. Okay. We had a curse word last week. so Okay, I could, good. I, I just, but it is, it is a bullshit
1: regime. response hmm. to something. Again, I, you know, look, two weeks ago, I lost a son. I, and it wasn't due to a crime of violence. It was not gun involved, but I, I now know what it feels like to lose a child. Hmm. So I can imagine, I can put myself in the shoes of a parent in Chicago or in Philadelphia, or New York, or Orlando, wherever. Uh, and I can imagine what it's like to lose a child in that circumstance. And the idea that I would be satisfied with the president, say, okay, we're going after ghost guns, or uh, universal background checks, or any of the other bullshit gun laws that are about serving politicians and not protecting the public is absurd. Um, I don't know that every... Crime victim feels that way, but I just don't believe that this is going to have any appreciable impact uh, on on Democrats' political fortunes between now and the midterms.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's a fair point of view, especially you know, in the in the case of ghost guns. I mean, I could certainly see the argument that maybe you're you know, while while gun rights activists view it as as a you know a rights issue to be able to build your own guns, maybe the general public views it uh, differently and so in that sense they'll they could do better on the issue but but at the same time like even if you accept the ATF's estimation that you know they've seen an increase in in uh, unserialized or ghost guns showing up at, at crime scenes it still represents such a tiny percentage of the overall uh, number of of guns at crime scenes that uh, even if you Got rid of every single one of them, it wouldn't have any appreciable effect on uh on crime. So it's hard to look at these things as um, you, you know, the an, an ATF director appointment. I mean, look, they already have one. I mean, they just demoted him, but they have they have directors. They've had directors, they've operated without permanent directors for a long time. They've only ever had one Senate confirmed director. It's not. It, you know, the argument is that long-term vision for the agency would be affected by a permanent director, but the day-to-day is probably not going to be radically changed uh, by by a director coming in, in in terms of crime fighting at the very least. You know, you might have, you know, going after gun dealers for, you know, infraction, paperwork infractions, you know, is, is something maybe you'd get more emphasis on, but I, will that have an impact on crime, uh, you know? hard to say. Uh, and so it's, it's a stretch, I think, to, I get it as a larger part, I guess, but they're really emphasizing this stuff. He did a, he did a Rose Garden speech on, it. he didn't do that on, uh, you know, crime and was the, the violence interruption programs, which they, to their credit, are funding. Uh, they don't really emphasize those things. And they, you know, or, or uh, he has talked about increasing the number of police, but of course that's, not really something the federal government can even do that much about because it's the local police that go that actually investigate murders and and violent crimes in most places it's not the purview of the federal government so i don't I think it's i do think it's a stretch
1: so there is a bit i think of um a uh a, a pushback to the defund the police rhetoric that's involved here because you're right this is it, it, you know, the ATF is a law enforcement agency. Um, and so, right. you know, you could say this is, uh, we're not anti cop, we're, you know, pro ATF. Uh, and, and Biden has called for, was it $1.3 billion in uh, new spending for the ATF? Uh, I do find it very interesting. He wants to, he has more money in his proposed budget to the ATF to hire inspectors to go after gun stores than actual ATF field agents to go after. You know, gun traffickers, um, which, which again I think is an indication of where the focus is, and it's it's on people who are trying to do the right thing. Like that's who this administration and that's who the gun control lobby wants to target right now. They're, they their their primary focus are the people who want to obey the law, uh, who just want reasonable laws, right? And 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 that's I think where um, where the fight is right now. I would like to think that both gun owners and uh, gun control activists uh, agree that violent crime is bad and we should do more to stop violent criminals. Um, right. It's just that you know the gun control activists seem to make it more of a priority to go after legal gun owners than and they'll get a, maybe there's some sort of trickle down effect to violent crime. I don't know. I don't. I if, if I if I understood that line of thinking, maybe I would be a gun control activist. But uh, it has always just been it has never made any sense to me from a logical perspective. Um, and so sure. Yeah.
0: There's obviously a difference in priorities there.
1: Yeah, there is. And, and that's why I just think that, you know, you can have the dog and pony show and you can talk about all of the efforts that the federal government are doing to, uh, reduce violent crime. Crime to me is primarily a local phenomena. Um, and, while we certainly saw crime spikes in a lot of the country in 2020, I would argue it was because a lot of localities saw the same phenomena. We all went through COVID. That was that was one stressor um, mm-hmm. that shut down the court systems. You know, it, it, it created a huge backlog. So when people were arrested for violent crimes, they were put back out on the street. They were free to commit more violent crimes. The court dates kept getting pushed back. I mean, like that was that was a big stressor. Then you have the George Floyd riots. Big stressor number two. Again, a lot of cities went through that experience. Uh, and the resulting uh, you know defund the police rhetoric, you had a lot of departments that all of a sudden saw officers leaving for greener pastures. Uh, and that has had a spillover effect so that a lot of major departments are still down, dozens if not hundreds of officers to this day. Uh, fewer officers on the street, I believe helps create an atmosphere where people believe that they can get away with murder. Uh, and often they do. Um, it, you know, that that's one of the other issues here is that, you know, clearance rates uh in a lot of cities have plummeted. Um homicide clearance rate in Chicago below 50%, the non-vi or excuse me, the non-fatal shooting clearance rate, if you just shoot somebody and they don't die in Chicago, you've got about a 90% chance of getting away with that crime. Uh and you know, if you get a 90% chance of getting away with something, you're probably going to see a lot more of it. So, you know, I think that these are generally local phenomena. It's driven primarily by a relatively small number of people in any given community who are awfully prolific. So, to me, the idea of a one size fits all, top down approach to crime has never made a heck of a lot of sense. Um, but again, we are seeing local departments uh, make inroads, uh, change their strategies, you know, go back to focusing on these sort of nuts and bolts policing. Um, targeted deterrence, things of that nature, but you know, one of the things that is also really important when you're turn in terms of fighting crime is something you just mentioned when you talk about the relationship that the ATF has with these gun store owners, and that is, you know, when you've got open lines of communication between any law enforcement agency in the community that they serve, that's going to be better for everybody. Uh, it leads to you know more witnesses, which leads to more prosecutions and more convictions and more violent criminals taken off the street. If the Biden administration, the gun control lobby is successful at weaponizing the ATF against the gun industry, and these gun store owners who before had no problem or were eager to call you know, their pal at the ATF and say, hey, listen, we just had a weird experience. I turned somebody away. I want you to know about it. Uh, I wouldn't sell them a gun. Didn't even put them through a background check. I don't know how many of those folks are going to go out of their way. I don't think many of them will, you know, refuse to cooperate with the ATF, but I don't know how many of them are going to go out of their way to pick up the phone call and put themselves on the ATF's radar for any reason whatsoever. You know, that's a real danger. Uh, And again, I think it's I think the Biden administration's moves here, Stephen, it's not just that they're an attack on our right to keep and bear arms, which I think that they are um but from a crime perspective, separating out the 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 constitutional concerns, just from a crime perspective, I think this takes us further away from the policies and the strategies and the tactics that can actually make a difference and I think it's likely to make things worse in a lot of cities and and you know I don't think that can be understated here again, I think you know removing Marvin Richardson installing somebody for, maybe four or five months, maybe longer. I mean, if Dettelbach doesn't get confirmed, but uh, you know, the idea is to put them in there for four or five months at most. This just makes the agency, I would love to hear what some of your ATF sources think are going to happen over the next four or five months because my prediction is going to be, this is just going to be an agency in in turmoil and chaos and almost at a standstill.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch what effect all this has. I think you're right as far as the sort of lingering issues in terms of, Crime fighting in the United States from, you know, understaffing to uh, community relationships, obviously, was a, that was a big theme of uh, one of the major issues with the uh, surrounding the George Floyd situation that that remains an issue. I mean, a lot of these things are like stuff that's been a problem for a long time and is continuing to be a problem. And and there there isn't an easy fix to most of it, uh, especially not something as trivial as. Making you know, pu- appointing a permanent ATF director or uh, banning kits, ghost gun kits, or whatever. But, but uh, you know, th- those are longer term problems. I'm sure the president and his administration realize that too. But, but uh, you know, I'm interested too. Uh, just real quick, last question here because I know you got to go. Um, what where do you see this Book nomination at today? I mean, it's early still. Um, we don't I haven't had the confirmation hearing yet, which is going to be a big deal. But w- what do you think the baseline is today in terms of uh, how many votes we could expect them to get if the if the vote was tomorrow?
1: I mean, I think you got to start with a baseline of forty eight, uh, and you know, take Mansion and King off the table uh, at, at least theoretically, right? Um, neither one of them have neither one of them came out, you know, after Biden announced the box nomination, said. That's my guy. You know, I'll I'll gladly vote for him. Um, That doesn't mean that they haven't given Biden or the White House private assurances that they will. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if I listen, if I were Joe Biden, would I have put forth a name without talking to Angus King, Joe Manchin, John Tester? No, I would not. I would have made sure that any name I put forward, they had said, I don't have a as as far as I know, I don't have a problem with them uh, at the very least. Whether or not that happened, I don't know. Do you know?
0: I don't think it did. I can't say for sure either. But uh, I don't. I don't know that they did anything quite like that. Um,
1: well, that's moronic. Uh, but again, that's probably par for the course for this administration. Um, so, so again, I think you have to now start with a a, a starting point of forty eight. And listen, I mean, the problem for Steve Dettelbach uh, is that while he didn't work for a gun control group like David Chipman. He got the endorsement of those gun control groups yeah. when he ran for attorney general of Ohio. So right. all of the positions that David Chipman held that ultimately disqualified him from serving as the permanent director of the ATF, Steve Adubok has also held. I mean, right. he's you know he's expressed support for gun bans. He's expressed support for you know all of these new regulations. Uh, maybe I don't I don't know if he's gone so far as David Chipman is to say that the AR-15 should be uh, considered a a uh, machine gun. Under the National Firearms Act. Maybe that's something that can come up during his confirmation hearing. But I don't well, really he's think he's for an assault
0: weapons ban. So yeah, kind of the same idea.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I you know, I don't think that Dettelbach if 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 the vote comes down to his positions and his philosophy and, and what he brings to the table as ATF director, I don't see that there's any reason why he would be any more acceptable to Joe Manchin and Angus King than David Chipman was. Um, I mean, at the end of the day.
0: Uh, as far as the core issue, if if Chipman's nomination failed because of his policy positions, then I believe that that's true. But I think also it probably was more of a combination of the policy positions and his various comments that he'd made and his personality being, you know, the fact that he's very um, a bombastic kind of guy and he had a bad confirmation hearing uh, you know, and obviously they blame the White House for not doing enough to support him afterwards or speaking up enough on his behalf. He, there's a lot of things to consider with the way these things go. And senators are, of course, uh, can be pretty fickle uh, guys. I, I think uh, it's interesting that you're starting from 48 and going the other way, like uh, that he has to earn the votes. I I would start from, I don't know, 53 and go backwards. Uh, he has to lose those votes. That's That's how I would look at it is like there's probably you know th- there's a couple republicans who are willing to give the president what's he what he wants in most nominations but then uh, unless there's something in particular that they don't like about the the person and then they'll, you'll lose their votes and then there's then you get to the 50 democrats and it's you gotta do a little more to lose their votes of course um just because the president's a democrat so uh it's interesting though. I think it'll, it'll be an interesting one to watch to see if he makes it through. And I think that, yeah, I what was it the times that said they were targeting fall, which is weird because you'd think they would target uh spring, <laughs> you know, right. Like get it over before the election. But I don't know if they're, maybe they're trying for a, a lame duck confirmation. I mean, that'd I've be, heard, be, you know, like a
1: May confirmation hearing, but then, yeah. you know, you're, you're probably running into the summer recess uh yeah. for a full vote you know to go back on Chippen. the campaign trail yeah uh yeah but and-
0: I, so that's what but I, I don't know dragging it out to fall gives you the same issues you still have it as an election issue but yep. uh, we'll see we'll have to wait and see I, you know we'll, well i'm sure we'll both be covering this as it goes forward so people should head over to the to bearingarms.com to check out your writing and and watch cam and company it's on youtube uh where else can people find that is it's Really on YouTube. Right? if
1: you want to see yeah. the beard and YouTube, if you just want to uh, listen uh, all the major podcast platforms, Apple podcasts, yep. Amazon, Spotify, and all the rest.
0: And I was just on recently. So go check out that episode. Uh, we got a hat beard. I, I did this specifically <laughs> because you were coming on the happier combo. So uh, people good. should watch this show on, on YouTube as well, and then head over to Cam and company and check, check that out too. But uh, we're going to head over to the news segment. Thanks so much, Cam, for being with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. All right, we're back with contributing writer, Jake Fogelman to talk uh, about another news story that's making waves this week uh, out of Florida, actually of all places. Uh, I mean, I guess a lot of news comes out of Florida these days, but not usually from a a prominent Democrat and not usually about gun rights. So Jake, tell us a little bit about what happened down there. You wrote about this and and I think people will be interested.
2: Yeah, uh, definitely an, an unexpected event. Uh, as you pointed out, a prominent Democrat, Nikki Freed, who is the only statewide elected Democrat uh, to hold office in Florida. Uh, she's been that way since 2018. Uh, she actually just filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration um, on Second Amendment grounds. Um, so uh, you have a prominent Democrat who's challenging the Biden administration for gun rights.
0: Yeah, pretty, pretty uh, shocking stuff, honestly right um, at this point, but I mean, it is Florida. So she's, she's running for governor there, right? she's the, like the top candidate for, on the democratic side, I believe.
2: Right, yeah, her and, and Charlie Crist, who's been a long time figure in Florida politics, they're right. both vying to take DeSantis's spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and,
0: and so what did she, What's she filing suit over?
2: Yeah, so she is actually tying it to the federal prohibition on marijuana users from owning or possessing guns. Uh, so under the Gun Control Act, It's still considered a controlled substance, which is disqualifying if you want to purchase a gun or even possess a gun. But uh, Florida is a medical marijuana state. And so she's saying that medical marijuana patients who are legally state licensed to use medical marijuana and then would otherwise be legally able to own a gun are being deprived of their Second Amendment rights. So she's uh, suggesting that that should be struck down as unconstitutional.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting to see her go there, but certainly that it has been an issue among some gun rights activists for a long time now. If you go into a gun store and buy a gun, you'll see on the form it explicitly tells you uh, you, you can't be a somebody who uses weed and legally purchase a gun uh, because it's a Schedule One narcotic under federal law, even if it's legal in your state. So that's where the, the conflict exists here. And uh, it's interesting to see Freed champion that particular uh, intersection of, 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 uh, rights, I suppose, uh, at that intersection of state law and federal law. And, uh, it's certainly I think there's a big political aspect to it, right? Because she, she's currently, you know, uh, one of the top candidates to run against Ron DeSantis, the Republican governor there. And, um, Florida is a, a state that's been trending red over the last several years. So, uh, it's, it's, you know, she's not running in Massachusetts, she's running in Florida. And it's interesting to see uh, Democrats adapt, especially, uh, you know, when you look at somebody like Beto O'Rourke, right, who's, who's running in Texas and right. has been just all over the place on guns, uh, but primarily has stuck with his uh, declaration that he wants to literally confiscate all of the AR-15s in Texas, which, again, is the most, most popular rifle. So Freed is taking a totally different track than him.
2: No yeah, that's exactly right uh, Florida commonly referred to as the gunshine state. Uh, obviously there's it's gun rights are fairly popular there um, and as you pointed out it's been trending red. DeSantis is relatively popular uh, typically above fifty percent in approval polls which is you know for our modern standards that's pretty popular um, <clears throat> but and it's also kind of remarkable to see someone like Freed who I think just, Wednesday when she announced the suit also was endorsed by mom's demand action as right. a, what, what they call them gun sense candidates. Yeah. So it's just f- funny to see her get endorsed by the biggest gun control group, uh, in the country, the same day that she files a gun rights lawsuit against yeah. a sitting democratic president. Well, I speak, I think that
0: speaks to something you wrote about in an analysis piece, uh, for, for the members on over at the reload.com. Um, which is basically that you, it's not that Freed is becoming a gun rights activist across the board. Uh, it's more that she's found this a particular tactic to exploit here, like uh, combining uh, a gun rights um, issue with uh, a traditionally progressive issue of, of legalizing
2: marijuana, right? You no, know, Yeah, I think that's uh, exactly right. It allows her to make inroads with potentially uh, gun owners that maybe aren't fully read, you know. You know, there's a lot of gun owners that are independent, some that are Democrats. Um, so it allows her to make an appeal, at least a little bit to gun rights, while still, I think, maintaining uh, a good progressive position. Because as you pointed out, that's a, a traditionally progressive stance is to s- stick up for the rights of people to use marijuana. Um, so it's an interesting strategy that maybe other Democrats could potentially emulate um, in other red states or other more, more swing states uh, to kind of thread that needle and, and still uh, not fully alienate their fellow progressives.
0: Yeah, and and I think it's also there's good evidence that this is uh, potentially in response to a lot of those new gun owners, who sure. trend to they tend to be more uh, of a democratic demographic, right? Like they tend to be more urban, more they're more minorities, more women, uh, from what we've seen over the last two years in the surge of new gun ownership, uh, but but. What we're seeing, as you pointed out in your piece, is polling indicates that they are moving away from gun control and are becoming more favorable to gun rights, perhaps in some cases, even more favorable towards gun rights than previous owners, people who bought before the pandemic. So uh, I think this is the first major sign that those shifts are having an effect in electoral politics.
2: I think that's right. As you pointed out, I track it. Uh, pretty extensively in my piece, uh, all the polls we've been covering since at least last year, but poll after poll after poll seems to show that people are by and large moving away from gun control. And as you pointed out, that recent University of Chicago poll that uh, tracked the new gun owners that came aboard during the pandemic, uh, on many issues, they're uh, more fervently in favor of liberalized gun laws than the traditional gun owners. So uh, as you said, this could be a viable strategy for politicians moving forward. um, Clearly, there's a public opinion shift. And in a democracy, you kind of have to be responsive to shifts in public opinion, particularly in a state like Florida. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this changes other political dynamics. It
0: will be. I'll be interested to see if other Democrats take this sort of tactic and run with it, Um, especially given the the uphill battle they have to retain control of of the House and Senate in these upcoming elections. But I do think, uh, honestly, that DeSantis has probably left some room for for her to move in here. He hasn't really done much on guns in in recent years. Uh, He's he's made noises, I guess, about supporting constitutional carry, uh, permitless carry in Florida. But uh, he hasn't really pushed very hard for it. He's, He's been more of the opinion that he would sign it if it made it to his desk. But it hasn't made it to its de- his to his desk, uh, and he hasn't seemed to really do much of anything to ensure that it makes it to his desk. So there's there's certainly room there, and Republicans on you know very recently passed gun control measures in Florida after the the Parkland shooting. So uh, they you know the, certainly there's uh, the opportunity to appeal to people who are gun owners who vote on that issue but aren't solidly Republican. And it seems like that's what Nikki Fried is attempting to do here. How successful it'll be, we'll have to keep watching and and reporting on, but it's certainly interesting to see.
2: Yeah, I think it, like, as you said, it's just not something you expect. Uh, An endorsed gun control politician uh, suing a president that literally just a week ago made big moves uh, enacting gun control. He just passed the ghost gun final rule, announced a new ATF director, and then now is being sued by a fellow Democrat over uh, a gun law. So it's an interesting thing.
0: Yep, absolutely. Well, if you want to keep up with this story, uh, I suggest you head over to thereload.com. You can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Uh, And if you want even more analysis like this, you want to read that piece that Jake wrote, you can buy a membership and help support our reporting the Reload is 100% independent publication that is 100% funded by our readers. And uh, so if you wanna support what we're doing, if you want access to exclusive pieces, exclusive stories, exclusive analysis pieces, uh, you want this podcast day early, you wanna be on the podcast, we'd love to do another, I think we'll do another member segment here coming in the the short term, but uh, yeah, head on over. There's benefits to, to membership for sure. And uh, But that's it for this week. We will see you guys again next week.